great to spend the afternoon with you all and get, get to know some of you. Uh, this morning we looked at God's plans for the nations from Psalm 67. Tonight I'd like to think of this same theme and uh, drill a little more specific, a little deeper, uh, and look at the missionary task, the missionary task. So we're going to be in the book of Acts, a uh, short section from chapter 13 and another section from Acts 14 as well. Uh, as we think about this great commission that our Lord has given to us and to his church, I want to focus in on these two questions. First, what is a missionary? And then secondly, what is missionary work? Now, I lay those questions before you. Some of you are probably thinking, well, these seem pretty obvious questions. Uh, why, why spend an entire sermon on these two questions? Uh, if you're thinking that, that's, that's a good thing that you're thinking. Uh, what's behind these questions is this impulse for clarity. So there's an assumption here that I'm making that clarity on these questions will keep us from being indistinct and ambiguous in our sending and in our going. Another way to say that is being clear on these questions will keep us focused and keep us specific. So you think of any major goal in life, to accomplish big goals, we need intentional effort, we need committed focus. And so too with the Great Commission. It's a commission, it's a command from our Lord, and we call it great because it rises above all other, all other commands, all other commissions. This is the greatest task, this is the commission for the church. And so we need clarity about this task so that we can be committed and faithful to see it through. So just by way of introduction, before we get into Acts chapter 13, I want to read from Luke chapter 24, where we see Jesus giving to us the Great Commission. Uh, Before we read from this text, let me pray and ask once again for the Lord's blessing. Father, we come to you again tonight to hear from your word. So speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. So from Luke 24, uh, why Luke? Why, why the Great Commission from Luke? You probably thought in your minds, oh, Great Commission, Matthew 28. Uh, that's where we see, uh, normally we, we go to to read about the Great Commission. But Luke gives us a Great Commission as well. It's the same Great Commission. Uh, and there's a, a literary link that I want to show you from the book of Luke, then into Acts, and then into our text for tonight. Uh, so this is just by way of introduction. Here's the Great Commission from the book of Luke, chapter 24, beginning in verse 44. Luke tells us, Then he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, The Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Spirit upon you, But stay in the city until you are clothed with power 
from on high. Here we see Jesus giving this great commission, and he says that the center of this commission is to be a witness. To be a witness, he tells us, of all of these things, all the ways that he has been spoken of, all these promises throughout the entire Old Testament, and in the person, in the life, and in the ministry of Jesus, all of these promises have been fulfilled. And Jesus says, you are to be witnesses of these things. Now Luke, or yeah, Luke goes from here, this is his first volume, he then writes the book of Acts. And the beginning of Acts, chapter 1, Luke tells us this. He's writing this to a man named Theophilus. He writes there, in the first book, so he's referring back to the Gospel of Luke. In the first book, O Theophilus, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So there's there's an implication here. Jesus began to do things. He began to teach things in the book of Luke. And now, in the book of Acts, Luke is going to record for us what Jesus continues to do and what Jesus continues to teach. And how does he do that? Well, he does it through his witnesses. That's what we see in Acts 1.8 when he says to his disciples, You will be my witnesses. This is the Great Commission. We look in Luke. We see the seeds of it given to us there at the end of Luke. And now the book of Acts is the the growing, the flowering of those seeds as we see the Great Commission being played out. And what is the Great Commission? Well, it is Jesus continuing to do things, and he's continuing to teach, and he's doing it through these witnesses. So as we come to these two questions about the missionary task, I want us to look forward now in the book of Acts, skipping ahead to Acts chapter 13, to see more specifically what is a missionary and what is missionary work. We see all through the book of Acts this this great commission being unfolded and being carried out to the nations. And here in Acts chapter 13, we get a clear focus of the work of missions and of the missionary. So follow along as I read. This is Acts chapter 13. This is where we'll spend... Uh, the majority of our time here tonight, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, then we'll skip ahead to the end of chapter 14. Luke tells us here, Acts 13, beginning in verse 1, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they had arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. We'll stop there, flip forward to Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 19, we'll read through the end of the chapter. So Paul and Barnabas have made this first missionary journey, and now Luke is recording the end of it, summarizing their work, and then closing out with them, revisiting the church at Antioch. So here's what we read beginning in verse 19. 
But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Focusing on these verses from Acts 13 and 14. First, what is a missionary? I think we see four marks of a missionary from this text. The first is this, a missionary is called by God. A missionary is called by God. We see this back in chapter 13, verse 2, where it tells us that Paul and Barnabas were called by the Holy Spirit. See, in Luke 24, Jesus gives the Great Commission, and he gives this promise that he will send the Spirit. And now we see the Spirit has come. The Spirit is filling his disciples. He's animating them for holiness. He's testifying to our adoption. He's empowering us for the work of the Great Commission. And we see that part of God's work, part of the Spirit's work, is to call people to go to the nations. Part of being a missionary is to have this call, this call from God upon your life. What does this look like? Well, it's, it's a desire, we could say. It's an aspiration It's an aspiration for living cross-culturally. It's an aspiration or a desire for doing the work of ministry, for being in difficult and hard situations, for enduring hardship and suffering. It's a a burden for bearing this, this weight of the lost. All of this is involved in a missionary call. But we see another aspect of this call here in our text where it's not just the individual who's called, but we see that the church was involved in this process. So notice again in verse 2, it says they were worshiping the Lord, they were fasting and they were praying. And at some point during this worship service, the Spirit speaks and he issues this call to set apart Paul and Barnabas. See, this was a supernatural call, an extraordinary call by the Spirit, but it was confirmed through the ordinary means of this local church. So you might be wondering, why is this so important? Well, as we send out missionaries, if we send them out with an internal call and yet they haven't been confirmed, you could say tested even by the church, It can lead to all kinds of doubt, confusion, even unqualified workers in the field. You think of the opposite. If if you've been sent by a church, but maybe you don't have this internal sense of call, well, it's easy for missionaries, it's easy for, for ministers even to become lazy, 
to become apathetic even in this work. See, especially for missionaries, when the going gets tough, we want to be able to point them back and say, Brother, sister, remember your call. The Lord has called you to this work. And remember, it's not just the, the Lord that called, but the church has called you. The church has confirmed your gifts, your maturity for this work. So be confident in this. You can do this work. You can press on. Clarity on calling is crucial for the missionary. So missionaries are called by God. Here's the second thing. Missionaries are sent then by the church. They are sent by the church. Again, we see this in verse 2. The issue issues this, the, the Spirit issues this command. And what does he say? He says, set apart, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have for them. To be set apart means to be separated or to be appointed. So you might be thinking, well, set apart from whom? Well, notice the list of names in verse 1. It tells us there's this man named Simeon, Lucius, Menaean. All of these are leaders of this local church. They're prophets and teachers, as it tells us in verse 1. But notice, it's not them who are called to this work, but it's Paul and Barnabas. They have a unique calling. And so they are appointed. They need to be set apart, commissioned, we might say, identified distinctly from others in the church for the purpose that they would be sent out. And this is actually what the word missionary means. It comes from a Latin word, a Latin word that means to be set apart and to be sent out. That's what fundamentally, fundamentally a missionary is, someone who has been set apart and then sent out. So we see that the church sends them out, but interestingly, in verse 4, we read that they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. So as the church is sending missionaries, we recognize that it is God himself, the Lord, who is sending them to the nations. So why does the church need to send? Well, one, it's to confirm this call from the Lord. But a second reason is from what we see in a place like Romans 10. It's a very familiar passage. Right? Romans 10 tells us, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's this great doctrinal truth. But then Paul there in Romans 10 asks this series of rhetorical questions. He says, well, if this is true, then how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? You see, there, there's a logic here in Romans 10 that says the church needs to send... Why? Because the church looks out into the world and sees the lostness of the nations, and the church then says, we need to send people to go over there. God brings salvation through his preached word, and so if there are lost people, people who have never even heard of Christ, then we as a church need to send people there. See, it's not just that the church waits around passively for somebody to come to us and say, I think I want to be a missionary. I think I want to go. No, the church needs to be proactive in sending and saying, hey, there's a great need across the ocean in Kazakhstan, like we heard this morning. The church needs to do this sending because the church sees the need and the church has the means of salvation, the gospel. 
So church, this is a good barometer for us. Do we really believe our own theology? Do we believe that the world is lost in depravity and darkness? That there are billions of people who have no access to this gospel? This church, my church back in East Lansing, the, the churches in our Presbyterian denomination, other like-minded gospel-preaching churches, we need to send our best to reach the lost with the gospel. It's an amazing thing that God would accomplish His supernatural work of salvation through the ordinary means of people who go and proclaim this good news. And these ordinary people are sent through ordinary churches. Churches like this. Churches like my own. Now here's an important distinction that we need to keep in mind. Not everyone is a missionary. Not everyone is a missionary. There's a fundamental distinction that we need to keep if we are going to reach the nations. You see, if everything is missions, then nothing is actually missions. We can say if everyone is a missionary, then no one is actually a missionary. No one will actually take upon themselves the mantle to get to the hardest places left in this world. If we're all simply missionaries here and doing the work of missions here, then there's no need to send. No one will go. So we need to keep this distinction that in the way we're, we're looking at Paul and Barnabas, they have been set apart and then sent with a purpose. So missionaries are sent by the church. Here's the third thing. A missionary is accountable to the church. This goes right along with sending. The church calls, commissions, and then sends, sends the missionary. And because of this, the church then is the primary organization to whom the missionary is ultimately accountable. We see this in our text. Chapter 13 begins with this church in Antioch sending Paul and Barnabas out. And then by the end of chapter 14, so I wanted to, to read that part, Paul and Barnabas make their journey, this first missionary journey. They come back to this church and they give in account for the work that they have fulfilled. And you'll see that word used in chapter 14, verse 26. It says that they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So I want to think about this word here for a minute. This word indicates that the church had certain expectations of what Paul and Barnabas were sent out to do. And now they've returned to this church and they're giving this report that, hey, we, we did this work. We did what we were supposed to do. You might say this is the first missionary potluck recorded in the New Testament, that they are coming back to this church and giving an account for their work. Friends, our missionaries need this kind of accountability. And our churches need to reclaim the role of accountability in our sending. This is not the work of a missions agency, as helpful as they may be. This is the work of the church. The church is to send and the church is to hold accountable those they send out to fulfill their ministry. And here's one of the things that happens when, when this is going on. When the church sends and when the church holds accountable, when that happens in the church, 
missionaries will be strengthened and the church will also be strengthened. Because as the church holds missionaries accountable for their work, they're also holding themselves accountable for the work that they have right here at home. So, how do we hold our missionaries accountable? Well, it starts asking lots and lots of questions. We want to ask missionaries both how they're doing, but also what they are doing. Brother, sister, missionary, are you being faithful to fulfill your mission? Are you spending your time wisely? We've learned for our missionaries to ask them very specific questions. Questions like, how many hours a week are you spending on Facebook and Netflix? If they're spending over 10 hours, 15 hours a week in English, in their home language, then that means they're not learning the language of their people. How are you spending your time? The church needs to know that. The missionary needs to be held accountable. We hold missionaries accountable by celebrating faithfulness to the task and by giving praise to God when there is fruitfulness. This is what we see happening in our text. So missionaries are accountable to the church. Here's a fourth mark. A missionary is ambitious for the lost. A missionary is ambitious for the lost. We can add to this, especially the unreached. We see this here in our text as Paul and Barnabas are sent out. They're leaving this city of Antioch. They're making this long journey down, it tells us, to Seleucia. They cross over on a boat to the island of Cyprus. They spend several days traveling through this island, visiting all the towns. From Cyprus, they sail up into Asia Minor. They make their way up uh, through those cities in Asia Minor. Now, you might be wondering, Paul, why spend so much time and energy and resources to make such a long and such a difficult journey when certainly there were lost people back in Antioch? Why would you devote all this time to do that? It's a similar question we hear today when we maybe talk to missionaries and missionaries maybe come to churches. You hear it. Why spend so much money? Why devote so much time and resources to overseas missions when there's so many problems and so many lost people right here at home? Well, the answer to that question, that dilemma, is that Paul had a gospel ambition. He had a burden for the lost especially the unreached. He tells us this in Romans 15. Listen to how he describes his ministry. He says, Thus I make it my ambition, there's our word, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, and here he quotes from Isaiah 52, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard, will understand. See, Paul had this gospel ambition. It came from the Old Testament, from Isaiah, and he had this ambition to proclaim Christ among the unreached, this category of people who have no access to the gospel. There's no connection to Christians. There's no established local church. And this is where clarity can help us. As we think about the Great Commission as a church, we are forced to wrestle with the question of priority. Where should we send our workers? To whom and to what work should our missions budget be devoted to? 
See, having a priority means saying yes to some things and saying no to lots of other things. And that's a really hard thing to do. Missions is an intentional, strategic plan sending with a prioritized purpose. And that purpose is to proclaim the gospel where Christ has never been named. Our priority ought to be to reach the unreached. Because, as the name suggests, the unreached are the hardest places to get. They're the hardest languages to learn. They're deep in jungles. They're high up in the mountains. They're scattered across the deserts. They're living under oppressive governments. Getting to these places requires preparation, requires training, requires resources. And under all of this, it requires a gospel ambition, this priority to get there. See, Paul could have easily stayed in Antioch, but he didn't. He was animated by this gospel to get to those who have never heard of Christ. So friends, we need more Pauls and more Barnabases, people with this gospel ambition. There's this urgent need to send people like the Apostle Paul from our churches to get to these places. But, and this is very important, but don't miss this, we also need Simeons and Luciuses and Menaeans, those who stay behind, those who are not missionaries, they have not been sent out to reach the unreached, but they stay behind. And even though they're not missionaries, they have just as much ambition as those who go. But their ambition is directed at supporting and sending. Their ambition is to reach the lost who are here. Their ambition results in sending more out even as we reach more here. This is how the Great Commission should fuel our churches. Sending more out and reaching more who are here. So we see missionaries are those who are called, those who are sent, those who are accountable, and those who are ambitious. Well, what about the missionary task? What is the missionary task? Well, we see a, a great description of it here in Luke 14. Luke is summarizing the ministry of Paul and Barnabas as they went out and visited all these cities. The first thing Luke emphasizes for us is, is in verse 21 of chapter 14. Missionaries are devoted to preaching the gospel. Verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city. This is what we see back in chapter 13. If we had time to read through that entire chapter, what do we see? We see Paul and Barnabas. They arrive at Salamis, the city, and what the first thing they do, they proclaimed the word of God. And then it continues on. Everywhere they go, they are preaching the gospel. They're proclaiming the word of God. Remember the Great Commission from Luke 24. The Great Commission is bearing witness to Christ. And that's exactly what they are doing. They are bearing witness. They are proclaiming that Christ is the fulfillment of all that has been written. Being a missionary involves more than this, but it is certainly not less. All missionary work must contain the proclamation of the gospel. 
And again, this is where clarity can help us. Clarity on the nature of missionary work helps us to avoid confusing it with what we might call vocational work. So sometimes you hear people talk about medical missions or business as missions, right? And those are, those are vehicles, those are avenues to get into countries. You can't go as a missionary on your visa. You might need to use the vehicle of being a doctor or a nurse or an education provider. Those are vehicles, but missionary work is to go and then proclaim this gospel. Seek every opportunity to proclaim this gospel. We don't want to confuse vocational work with the missionary task, proclaiming Christ. This is what we see all through the book of Acts. Everywhere they went, they proclaimed Christ in synagogues and houses and marketplaces, anywhere where they could gain a hearing. Missionaries are devoted to this task, to proclaim the gospel. We don't measure it in hours. We measure it in earnestness earnestly seeking open doors for the word. Here's a second thing missionaries are committed to. Missionaries are committed to discipling those who believe. Again, Luke tells us in verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. Making disciples takes us right back to Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. And we see that's what Paul and Barnabas were doing. What did their discipleship strategy look like? Well, Luke tells us in our text, look back at verse 22. How did they make disciples? Well, they strengthened the souls of the disciples. They encouraged them to continue in the faith. And they said, they were saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. See, missionaries are not simply seeking converts but they are seeking to make disciples. Those who profess the faith in Christ and then those who progressively grow in the grace they have received. We disciple by strengthening people, by encouraging them, by telling them what is true, what is the gospel, what is the kingdom of God, what hope do we have in Christ. Discipleship is pointing people to the hope that they have in Jesus. We see disciple-making here in Acts chapter 14. It follows this consistent pattern. They preach the gospel. People then believe. They become disciples. These disciples are then gathered into churches. And from here, discipleship continues. Missionaries need to be clear on what discipleship is because it is crucial for the mission. Here's a third thing that missionaries do missionaries aim their work at planting and building healthy churches this is the last thing we see in chapter 14 verse 23 they proclaim the gospel they made disciples and then it says and when they had appointed elders for them in every church see if we are truly committed to discipleship we will love the church why well because Disciples are gathered into churches. That has been God's plan and God's means from the beginning. No matter the culture, no matter the context, God's people gather together in the church. And so we love God's people well by loving the church. Now Paul makes a, 
a surprising argument along these lines, again, back in Romans 15, just after that text I quoted about his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. If you were to go back to Romans 15, you'll read Paul make this statement. He says that he's referencing his work from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. So if you think of the Middle East at that time, you had Israel and Syria to the north, that's where Antioch was. You cross over Cyprus up into Asia Minor, Turkey, then up into Macedonia, into Greece. And if you keep going, you'd get to Illyricum. Eventually, you'd come to Italy and Rome. Paul says, I've completed my ministry from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. And then he says this, he says, quote, I no longer have any room for work in these regions. And he says, because there's no more room for work, I've got to go to Spain. Spain was the furthest west you could get in the Roman Empire. So you pause here for a minute and you say, Paul, what do you mean there's no room for work in those regions? Uh, this, was a, this was a large, large part of the, the globe, right? Sort of almost an entire continent, the European continent. What do you mean there, there's no more room for work in these regions? Are you saying there's no lost people there? Well, I think what Paul is telling us is this. It's not that there's no lost people. There certainly were. But what did Paul leave behind? He left behind churches. And from those churches, the gospel would then continue to radiate out. And because that's the case, Paul can say, as a pioneer missionary, I've got to go to Spain because there's no churches there. I've left churches back in these cities, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. There's churches there. There's lost people too. Those churches are going to reach those lost people. I've got to get to Spain. This is why it's so important to build churches as part of the missionary task. You can win a person to Christ, and that individual can be snuffed out rather easily. But if you plant a healthy church, you now have an institutional witness that will far outlast the missionary. The church is the ordinary means through which workers are sent, and it's also the ordinary means through which the lost will continually be reached right here at home. So the church is the fuel for missions, even as it's the aim of missions. We need to plant and build up healthy churches as part of this missionary task. So the core of missions work. We preach the gospel, we make disciples, and we plant and build up churches. Third question, how can you be involved in this work of missions? How can you be involved in this work of missions? Three quick things. I mentioned some of these this morning. The first is this, go. Is God calling you to go? We have regular monthly missions gatherings at our church in East Lansing. Uh, we, do a mission, we do a potluck lunch. We have some talk on missions, maybe a missionary that will come and share. Uh, we call them go-send meetings. Uh, and every time we meet for these meetings, we always say this. We want all of us here at this church to take this call seriously. Is God calling you to go? Uh, certainly, we want to say to the young people, is God calling you to give up your life to go to the nations? But we want this to be for everyone. We have a, a couple in our church 
He just retired from MSU. He was a professor there for uh, a couple of decades. Uh, they were involved in our student ministry, reaching out to international students. He just retired. They're selling their house. They're packing up their things. They're heading to Ireland where they will do student, international student outreach there in Ireland. Uh, they're retired, and yet they're taking this call seriously to go. All of us need to hear this call. All of us need to wrestle with this call. If you are thinking about this call, ask your friends, ask your family, ask your church, your elders, your pastors, do you see evidence that perhaps the Lord is calling me to this work? But take this seriously. Is the Lord perhaps calling you to go? Here's the second thing, support. Support the work of missions and support missionaries. William Carey, well-known name in the missions world, he was the father, we often call him the father of modern missions. He went to India in the early 1800s, kind of paved the way for the Protestant church uh, to go to India and to go to the nations. Before he left, he was reported to, as saying to Andrew Fuller, he said, quote, I will go down into the pit if you will hold the rope. I will go into the pit if you will hold the rope. Friends, those who are not goers, we need to be supporters. We need to be those that hold the ropes so that the missionaries can climb down into that pit. So we hold the ropes through finances. We hold the ropes through consistent and earnest prayer. We hold the ropes through meaningful communication, writing letters, Zoom calls, receiving missionary updates, sending emails. We hold the ropes perhaps by visiting missionaries in the field. This is one of the best ways for you as a church to show your missionaries you care for them, that you support their work, and that you are invested in their work. Send a group, not to do work with them, but simply to visit them, to see what their life is like, to see what their ministry looks like. Go and visit your workers in the field. We hold the ropes by strengthening this church back home. You see, the healthier you become as a church, the more missionaries you can send out, the more missionaries you'll be able to support, and the better your support will be. For a missionary to know that their sending church is growing in the gospel and is continuing to proclaim this gospel to the lost back home, this is one of the greatest encouragements, one of the greatest motivations for a missionary to stay in the field and continue their labors over there. So we support by getting more involved in strengthening this church to continue to reach the lost, to support the work of missions. And here's the last thing. Support, get involved by sending, by sending. Sending means we raise up the next generation of missionaries. It means we hold out to the youth of the church this task of missions. It means we champion the cause. We challenge the next generation to go. Sending means we hold our missionaries accountable to the mission. It means we need to lean into that, asking our missionaries how they're doing, asking our missionaries what they are doing. Are you being faithful to preach the gospel, make disciples, and plant churches? 
The need is urgent and our message is too precious to keep hidden. In closing, to quote a popular song, the song begins like this, O church, arise and put your armor on and hear the call of Christ our captain. His call is to go, to make disciples, to baptize and teach the nations all that Jesus has commanded us. And what does Jesus promise? He promises he'll be with us to the end of the age. Friends, this is what Jesus is continuing to do even in our own day, using ordinary people and ordinary churches to reach the nations. What a privilege we have in obeying this great commission. Amen. If you would join me as we pray to close. Father in heaven, I join my voice with the saints here at this church. We would ask that you would be pleased to use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. We pray that you would raise up more workers from this church, that you would call them, that the church would send them, that they would have the aim of proclaiming the good news of Christ in places that have yet to hear of the name of Christ. Would you strengthen this church in gospel grace to send out more even as they reach more here? We pray for the name of Christ to be honored and praised among all the nations, and it's in his name we